you're listening to a very special episode of Classic Movies Live. This is the third episode of our fourth season, but the first episode of a very cool format that uh, is actually, as you'll hear, inspired by one of the original ideas for this whole podcast. Today, we have brought on a guest, uh, Ian, or Slight Astro, from the Academy of Death Racers. And he has recommended to us a classic movie that we talked about. And for us, it was live. Today, we are going to talk about the movie Paddington 2, which uh, came out in 2017. It is the sequel to Paddington. So uh, we do talk a little bit about the first movie as well, but very passingly. I would definitely recommend having watched both movies. First off, they're lovely. But secondly, um, there will be spoilers for Paddington 2 and potentially a little bit for Paddington after about 30 minutes in. So listen at your own risk. But the way this is going to work, we bring in Ian. We talk to him a little bit. He introduces himself. We talk about Paddington 2. And then he tells us why it's a classic. Now, a lot of that uh, why is Paddington 2 a classic sort of gets worked into the earlier discussion before that. Um, but it is a really, really great discussion. I'm really happy with how this went. And uh, I had a lot of fun talking about Paddington. So without further ado, here's a little bit of the trailer for Paddington 2. And then we're going to talk about Paddington a bit. Dear Aunt Lucy, you sent me to London to find a home. I have a wonderful family. Well, I think you're in great shape for a man your age, Mr. Brown. Ah, thank you, Paddington. Hang on, how old do you think I am? Oh, uh, about 80. I've really got to grips with how things work. Mr. Gruber, come in. I'd like to get my Aunt Lucy a birthday present. How about these rolling shoes? Please, Mr. Gruber, be serious. What's this? This popping book is the only one of its kind, and they want a lot of money for it. I'm going to get a job and buy that book. You're listening to another episode of Classic Movies Live, and today is a special episode, as are all of our episodes. I say that way too often at this point, but it doesn't matter. Uh, so... Pierre, I think I think we've both mentioned, though I don't know, I know we've both mentioned separately on other podcasts that there were originally a couple of different ideas for uh, for this show, and um, ultimately we ended up just like I think at the time you had really wanted to talk about Glass because you were about to go see it, and you were like, no, 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 we just got, I gotta watch, I gotta talk about this movie. I hope I'm not throwing you under the bus, but that is my recollection there. And then we just went with it, and the show has. Never been the same since, because before that it didn't exist, and now it does. But uh, there were originally a couple of different ideas floating around. Am I am I remembering correctly, Pierre? You are remembering correctly, Jeff. I, I'm surprised okay. I was very excited to talk about Glass, but um, I, maybe that was before I watched the movie, so that might explain it. I mean, I'm pretty sure it was before you watched the movie that you were like, nah, dude, let's not think about this anymore, let's just do it. And then we ended up having a lot to say, so it worked out. There, there was a lot to say about class. <laughs> I can confirm that. But uh, one of the ideas that had floated around right at the beginning is um, what I one, one thing that I had kind of wanted to do is I had wanted to bring in at the time it was teachers from our university, but the point being I wanted to bring in experts 
not experts, just people in positions of authority to talk about something and say, okay, what's a movie that you think is a classic? What's a, what's a movie that you want more people to see and that you have a lot to say about? And then what we would do is we would screen that movie and we'd bring them up and interview them for like a panel discussion. And originally, I don't even know if it was intended as a podcast because at the time we were running a movie club, but uh, it, it would have lent itself well to a podcast, except we never ended up doing it. Uh, so what we would have been doing, in a sense, is showing a classic movie and then discussing it live, which um, seems seems relevant to the show. I'm not really sure in what ways. But uh, with season four of Classic Movies Live now upon us, um, that was something that I was like, hey, this actually would work as a podcast, so we could try this out. So we did bring in an expert in their field today who has a lot to say about our very first ever classic movie. uh, Well, classic movie that we're talking about in this format so uh, please welcome to the show, back again for the second time, third time actually, uh, Astro from the Academy of Death Racers. Hey, Jeff and Pierre. Thanks for having me again. Thank you for coming back. I'm glad that you enjoyed us enough the first time that you were back again. I uh, love being here. So yeah, and uh, yeah, excited about this new format as well. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not entirely certain that I qualify as an expert by any stretch. Uh, but you are entirely certain that you have picked for us a classic movie today, correct? 100%. I think that's the most important qualification there is. So, um, so uh, I have a couple of questions for Astro. I think, I think the most important one I'll actually save until last, but uh, Astro, you are from the Academy of Death Racers. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, for those for those people that religiously only listen to classic movies live and do not listen to any of our other spinoffs, they may not know who you are. So give us a quick introduction. Cool. Uh, uh, well, yeah, uh, uh, my name's Ian, uh, a.k.a. As- uh, Slight Astro on uh, Discord and Reddit. And I'm one of the kind of... Uh, the community leaders, I suppose, of the uh, uh, Academy of Death Racers, which is a community uh, of, I don't know, obsessive film nerds? Is that uh, an appropriate statement? Um, I think so. (laughs) It's a very fun community. um, And yeah, essentially, uh, last year, we kind of started doing our own film festival. So... um, yeah, uh, currently, this, this January, running until the 22nd of January, uh, we've got over 50 short films available um, playing on our online film festival this year. And five of them have been Oscar nominated in the long lists. So it's an exciting opportunity to see a wonderful curated mix of uh, live action, uh, animation, LGBTQ plus themed and documentary short films which Uh, oh i was just gonna say i remember last year there were lots of very very cool movies on there i haven't had the chance to watch quite as many this year as i hopefully will still get the chance we're recording this well before it ends so there's loads of time for me but uh, the ones i have seen have been 
very good. I've been watching uh, a lot of the animated shorts are only a few minutes long, which is really nice because I never have any time in the day, but I can still watch like five or six animated shorts and only go through a half an hour. I absolutely agreed. I've done quite a few of the animated shorts myself as well. Hot singles in your area uh, is, I think, you know, a minute of your life that everybody should be uh, <laughs> forced to watch. I love it, but I know it's not for everybody. I can't remember what you thought about that, Jeff. I initially don't, I think initially I was watching it when I was already zoned out. And then the second time I watched it, I thought this is very, very clever. And uh, I haven't watched it in a while. So I'm going to probably watch it again right after this. Nice. Nice. That's a... <laughs> but when this when this episode goes up, uh, the I think the festival should be running for a little more than another week still once this episode goes up. So uh, please, anyone who's listening, if any of that sounds interesting, and it really should, because there's some very good shorts there, you should go to aodr.net and uh, buy an all-access pass for $5. Uh, only five dollars, and it only also $5. it also includes uh, access uh, on the fourteenth of January. So that's Saturday, the fourteenth of January. Um, I'm running a live uh, online uh, quiz, and last year again, I can't remember if you guys were there, but um, I I didn't quite know whether the questions were going to be hard enough, so uh, I made them really hard. Uh, so expect another lethally difficult film trivia quiz next Saturday. They were very, very hard for me, but I am also apparently not nearly as good at trivia as I thought I was. So I don't know if they were too hard. Well, I always uh, like to include questions that I didn't know the answer to originally. So uh, <laughs> I'm very, I would have failed at it myself. <laughs> So uh, I have one other question for you, Ian, and that is, what is the movie that you've brought to us today? What is the classic movie we're going to be talking about? Well, I know that um, it is currently the highest rated film on Rotten Tomatoes, so I'm not expecting an enormous pushback, uh, but certainly one of my favorite films, I think of all time, quite possibly, I'm very happy to commit to that. It's Paddington 2 which is a wonderful feel-good movie that I can watch at any time and always never fails to make me cry in the right places. Uh, Pierre, had you seen Paddington 2 before this episode? Uh, I did. And uh, I, I saw it, well, I saw it like last night and then I saw it. Oh, um, no, I meant like... Like a couple... I meant like, had you seen it like way before that? Oh, yeah, yeah. And then I saw it like, I think two years ago or something. Um, I, I don't know why I just, I just remember seeing like, I, it always popped up on Reddit. It would be like, this is ironic, unironically the most, the best movie of all time or something like that. You'd be like, okay, that sounds interesting. And then I watched it and like, it, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'd, I'd always heard that myself. And so it was one that I was going to get around to eventually and uh, so I'm really glad you suggested it because I have now seen Paddington 1 and Paddington 2, which I hadn't seen before. Uh, excellent. I'm glad you're in Team Paddington now. <laughs> well, I'm, 
I don't know. I guess I don't want to give too much away, but that's probably also very safe to say. So you, you, you're right. I don't know that you'll get much pushback on this one. <laughs> it's, I'm prepared. I'm prepared. So don't go easy on me. <laughs> uh, well, to start us off, do you want to tell us a little bit about what Paddington 2 is about? I guess this is a little weird because we've never talked about Paddington 1. So we're starting right with the sequel. But uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about this movie? Sure. So um, after the adventures of Paddington 1, life's kind of settled down uh, for our favourite bear and uh, the family that he lives with, the Browns, and the other residents of Windsor Gardens, which is a a lovely area, fictional area of uh, London. Um, Paddington's focused on getting his Aunt Lucy a wonderful present for her 100th birthday and tries various forms of employment in order to gain and gather funds to buy an amazing pop-up book that he finds. Um, things, unfortunately, change, though, when uh, the, the pop-up book uh, is stolen from the shop, uh, the Gruber's Antiques, and Paddington is convicted for the, the theft of it. Um at which point he's locked up in jail and the Browns set about trying to find the real thief and free Paddington from incarceration. Yeah, that sums it up pretty well. I'm not, I'm uh, not going to lie, when you when you describe the plot on its surface, it sounds like a very depressing movie. It does a bit, <laughs> doesn't it? But there, there's many, many layers. That's... <laughs> I was trying to be as spoiler-free as possible. I'm sure we'll talk about it uh, a lot more at length once we do go into spoilers, but um, even though this starts with Paddington going to jail, the jail quickly becomes a very lovely place. It's it's not... There's, there's almost no room for sadness in this movie. I say almost because there are plenty of places that can make you cry, but still... Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's it's about life affirming Paddington's, you know, effect on other people, isn't it? And the positivity uh, mm-hmm. of helping one another. I think. Um, Pierre, what do you think of this movie? Just generally, <laughs> I, I think it's like it's surprisingly artsy. I guess for like, because I think it would be very easy for this to be seen as like a children's movie, which in a lot of ways it is, right? But it, it takes a lot of, like, artistic um, liberties at the same time, which I think is what what helps it really stand the test of time. And, like, I mean, it's only, like, four years old, so I don't know if it'll stand the test of time. But um, and also kind of play off well with both, you know, film big film fans and also casual general audiences and stuff. Um, it feels very uh, – it feels like – what I wished Wes Anderson movies would be in some ways where mm-hmm. I, I just like, I love Wes Anderson's like color palette and style and cinematography and characters, but it's just always too Wes Anderson. If that makes sense. Whereas this <laughs> feels like it takes a lot of the good aspects out of his style and just makes it presentable for a, a general audience, I guess. Yeah, I totally agree with that. There's, there's a kind of a lot of, influence of Wes Anderson I think on some of the different forms of animation that they they adopt there's a good number of uh different kind of montage scenes aren't there where they kind of 
play around with with different kind of styles and effects and even kind of homages to to loads of random british mostly films i think mm-hmm. I actually was, I was wondering, the director of this movie is Paul King, who hasn't done a lot outside of the Paddington movies. He's not, it's not that he's done nothing. He's definitely established as a director, but um, I was wondering, is he more of a name in, is he a name at all in Britain? Because, okay. Not as far as I'm really aware. I I certainly um, wasn't familiar with him outside of the Paddington movies. Um, I... I remember seeing in the taxi, the taxi is played by the guy, I think Matt Lucas from, uh, the taxi driver is played by Matt Lucas from Little Britain. So I saw him and I'm like, I wonder if this is the Little Britain guy. And it is not, though he did direct Come Fly With Me, which is like adjacent to that. Yeah, and and a bit of kind of uh, niche uh, British late night TV as well. Uh, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place and uh, The Mighty Boosh. Uh, he was i think he was involved with those as well um yeah what what i actually really liked about this i'm i'm going to eventually compare this to citizen kane so i might as well just get it out of the way i think what i really like about this is uh in in citizen kane when we talked about that what i think was really interesting about that movie is that everything was new and fresh and like a lot of the cinematic a lot of the cinematography techniques that come up in that movie are interesting because no one had ever done it before. And to a degree, no one's ever done. Very few people have like mastered a lot of the techniques in Citizen Kane, the way that citizen, the way that Orson Welles did right off the, right off the bat. Um, what I think is really nice about Paddington is almost the opposite. I think that Paddington and Paddington two uh, lean into pretty well-established tropes, but do it very, very well. Like, if you were to describe probably beat by beat what this movie is, it would be functionally indistinguishable as as far as, like, general story beats go from a lot of other children's movies. But, like, that doesn't matter. Every single one of those beats is executed so well that it's, like, re- that I find this movie really hard to look away from. Uh, even just on the story level, but then also the visuals, uh, they have a very, very talented uh, animation team and visual uh, visual effects director. And specifically, and I think they work really well with Eric Wilson, who does the cinematography on this, to make some just really, really nice shots. There's a shot very early on where Paddington is imagining his Aunt Lucy coming to London and it starts by him opening up a pop-up book and then all of London is like modeled in pop-up style, in pop-up book style until it gets close to, you know, him imagining what he'd be doing with his Aunt Lucy, at which point it looks more realistic, but it's still got that uh, aesthetic of a pop-up book, which is just, I mean that's a tiny scene and it's still stuck with me after all these days. So. Yeah, I totally agree. I think uh, that that's, that's a, you know, it, it, it's all about the different styles of animation that are used and uh, used excellently, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's not just that kind of animation style. I also think there's a lot going on um, in the kind of production design as well. Um, the sets are, 
phenomenal and the amount of detail uh, every time that i rewatch it i spot something else that i hadn't noticed uh, before just somewhere in the background whether it's kind of on a newspaper that somebody's holding up in a, in the corner of a frame um or you know uh, the name of a building or something along those lines there's a an enormous amount of detail that's gone into into it i also i think that um the animation of Paddington himself, you know, the the CG of uh, of Paddington, uh, is even better than in the first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I recently rewatched the first one as well, and uh, you know, there's there's a few points where, you know, it's functional, but it's it's not quite as uh, there isn't quite the level of detail in the fur and the movement of the fur as he as he moves around as there is in in this one in Paddington too. Mm-hmm. I'd also like to uh, challenge your uh, statement about uh, the the story being um, uh, relatively kind of boiler point and uh, standard because again I think certainly for the first kind of third of this movie the the script is so tight. There is the perfect amount of exposition um, uh, and it moves along so quickly, introduces you to all these kind of characters that are important. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm going to mention Hugh Grant at this point because mm-hmm. he he really is phenomenal in this film. Um, but it's, you know, the kind of, we move from kind of uh, this, uh, callback in time, uh, flashback to to when Paddington was um, was first found by Aunt Lucy and Uncle Bastuza, um, and and then him narrating this letter to uh, um, to Aunt Lucy from from London, from the comfort of of his his life, and explaining or updating quite nicely from from the end of. Paddington one about what's happened and you know each of the characters is enormously fleshed out I think Mm -hmm. you know the the whole Brown family um there's a lot going on and we find out more about them in this film uh yeah I I think it does a really good job I think the um the writers do a really good job with not only fleshing out the Brown family but also kind of sneakily at the beginning, putting them not back, put, putting them back into a position where, how do I say this? Paddington One is a is a movie that has a lot of growth for all of its characters. And all of those story arcs, all of those character arcs com, are, are finished, complete in Paddington One. In Paddington Two, instead of, the, the writers do a really good job of giving putting those characters at a point where they need more character growth without just resetting them back to the start in Paddington where they were in Paddington one uh, there's you know there there's similarities in what's going on with all of them but like uh, they're they're very they have very different um, growth arcs that they need to go through that uh, let them do a lot more with those characters within this movie, which is good because they have uh, a lot of screen time where they are not next to Paddington. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. And I, I think all of those kind of arcs are very believable. They're, you know, mm-hmm. they're not kind of sensationalized uh, 
you know, it's even the subtlety of, uh, I forget the name of the son uh, in the Brown family, but, uh, um, you know, he kind of, he loves steam trains, but mm-hmm. can't, can't kind of express that to, to his friends because, you know, it's not cool. And um, all these little things that kind of seem subtle at the, you know, or just kind of throw away statements at the start, it, they really do kind of come full circle and, uh, you know, yeah, through through Paddington's involvement of bringing, bringing these people together to feel comfortable and uh, in themselves. Um, it, yeah, it, it, it ties it all together really well. Uh, the, the son's name is Jonathan. Of but course. At the, beginning yes. of the, at the beginning of the movie, he refuses to go by anything other than J-Dog, <laughs> which is... Well, he wouldn't know this because he's a child, but that's the actual thing that's not cool. <laughs> I know, and his sunglasses and hat combo. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> but yeah, you know, the thing is, there are loads of visual gags in this as well. Um, uh, you were talking earlier about the newspapers, and I wish I remembered... I, I wish I'd written down some of the newspaper headlines because everything that's ri- everything that's written in the newspaper that you get to see is a joke or a pun or some kind of visual gag. I think there's there's one that's like a it's like three layers of puns in one sentence, which is just really good. I think it's I think it's about a pie shop owner that gets arrested or something. And yes. there's four or five different puns in that one sentence. I, I absolutely one one that I have written down because I can't remember that one off the top of my head and I didn't write it down but um one that I have is uh from a newspaper it's get out of jail free cards and not legally binding as the uh, as the the headline and uh, yeah yeah <laughs> judge rules judge rules yes <laughs> superb um Oh gosh! What else? Well, I think we're all in agreement that this uh, is is a very good movie. Um, I, 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 can I also uh, bring up uh, certainly one of my favourite uh, gags of all time is oh, uh, from the, from the judge uh, in, as he sentences uh, Paddington. It's uh, ten years for grand theft and grievous barbely harm after he's kind of shaved the back of the the judge's hair. It's, I didn't catch that. That's so good. Because is is grievous grievous bodily harm is that a thing in uh in the Americas? I mean, those words all make sense together. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if that's yeah, an actual I, I think crime. So. Like how like listed, if that makes sense. I think it'd just be assault. Kinda sounds like it would yeah. Yeah, because because uh, GBH is a uh is a crime uh here, a sensible crime. But uh, obviously, the barbely aspect is is superb. I think um, that's another thing that I thought was really cool in this movie um, is is how a lot of those like little throwaway scenes kind of work together. Uh, because the grievous barbarly harm that happens is one of Paddington's odd jobs at the beginning. He says he needs money, and instead of that turning into you know, a whole plot line about how to get money, he goes, I think I'll get a job. And then he just goes and finds jobs, which almost sounds like a Simpsons setup to me. Um, but uh, early on, the 
he he decides to get a job in a barber shop, and it's it's just a ten minute gag of him uh, accidentally messing up cutting someone's hair, but that comes back when that person is the judge, and it comes back at the end again too. I can't remember exactly how, but it's it yeah. it keeps coming back even though it's just this little gag that doesn't actually have that much to do with most of the plot. It's it's fantastic and. You know, so the judges on the uh, on the the train that the Browns hijack, shall we say? That's where it comes uh, back. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, I think also this film has not one but two of the greatest chase sequences of cinematic history. And I know that might sound hyperbolic, but I stand by that statement. So the the first one is the chase uh, when the book has been stolen uh, mm-hmm. from. Uh, and involves Paddington riding on the back of a, a dog and, you know, clinging onto a swan. Hilarious as, uh, as they chase, uh, you know, chase along the Regent's Canal. Um, and the second one, the, who, who doesn't love a, a steam train chase? Mm-hmm. It's phenomenal. <laughs> and actually that, uh, that first one, I was really, I was really impressed by that one the first time I saw it because it's an inversion of it's an inversion of a chase scene in the first Paddington movie. It stands alone. You don't have to have seen the first one. But in the first one, there's a similar chase where Paddington is chasing down a thief, but he doesn't realize he's chasing down a thief and ends up uh, he ends up helping out the police when they when he catches this thief that he thought he was helping, but he's actually helping the police. And in this one, he knows he's chasing a thief. And uh, this one also ends with a um, encounter with the police that goes quite the opposite way. So I thought that was a I thought that was a really clever uh, way to get across the exact same theme of the first one, which is well, one of the themes of the first movie and of the second movie, which is that the police are entirely incompetent. Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a, a statement I think we can all kind of universally accept to a, to a point. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a, there's, there's some great moments. Uh, um, I, I love the, the thought where, uh, the scene where the Browns are at the police station trying to persuade them that they have found uh, out who who did the uh, the robbery, and the policewoman says, um, "Well, there's no hard evidence here. Go find me some hard evidence, and we'll see what we can do." <laughs> Isn't that her job yeah. or the police's job? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah, oh, isn't it? I don't. I don't think you can break into someone's house and steal stuff and then brick it in as evidence either. Which is, you know, that's like a really that's a small nitpick, but it doesn't really matter. But you know, that was just a uh, an insurance uh, survey, wasn't it? Oh yeah, sorry, my bad. I forgot. About <laughs> Colin Farrell would never do it's... that. Do, do him dirty. It's uh remarkable how much Hugh Bonneville gets away with in both of these movies in the name of insurance. Uh, some of the, one of my favorite gags in the first one is uh, him running upstairs, frantically trying to get a better insurance pro- policy. And in this one, I think he manages to, I, well, he breaks into one house uh, under the guise of I'm doing a surprise inspection. Doesn't he do that twice or doesn't he get another 
something else out of his insurance risk analyst thing as well? I, I, can, I can only recall the one um, where he breaks into Felix uh, Phoenix's uh, house. Um, and that that's only because he sees Mary there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's a few uh, sequences of set uh, in the in the insurance company's offices, and uh, I love that he's suffering from a midlife crisis in this film, and it, he's, it's all about him, you know, becoming more flexible in mind and body, as well as a result of not getting a promotion at work. Um, and again, skills that become really important later on, as well as that kind of fleshing out of what he was like before uh they had kids <laughs> i think uh yeah i think what's his name uh henry i think henry's character when when it compares him to what he was like before they have kids it's always a really funny character that i'm also very glad was in the past because i don't think that character could i don't think the old henry could carry much more of the movie than just a few gags but those gags are very funny they're used really well yeah, they're, they're spot on. Uh, Hugh Bonneville and uh, Sally Hawkins, they're, they're superb, I think, uh, together mm-hmm. as well. They they play it for what it is, I think. Because, to be honest, they, they don't even try and de-age them at all, I think, in those flashbacks. <laughs> I mean, they give Hugh Bonneville more hair, and that's it, about it. Yeah, which is, is superb. It's how it should be done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. Well, we are about a half an hour in, so I think it's probably safe to say uh, at this point, uh, this is probably a good point for a spoiler warning in case we do want to talk about spoilers. And um, there is one character who's not, I don't know if he's really a spoiler, but I feel like even talking about him, we need to go into spoilers. So final spoiler warning right here. Anyone who is listening to this but has not yet watched Paddington 2, probably should go do that. But uh, I guess if you don't want to, we're going to talk spoilers in just a minute. Okay, so uh, Brendan Gleeson is in this movie, which I did not know going in. Although I think he's on one of the biggest promotional photos, um, which is just where where they're talking to Paddington on visitation day. And he brings in all of his prison friends, which, uh, you know, that's one of those images in this movie that feels very Wes Anderson-like because it's very deliberately framed. Everyone is wearing pink because of uh, earlier gag that happens. Um, And yeah, gosh, I kind of got lost with what I was saying. There's a lot of Wes Anderson-like visual gags, like you already said, Pierre but they're executed really, really well. It reminds me a lot of the French Dispatch in a lot of ways, because in the French Dispatch, uh, Wes Anderson is experimenting with all sorts of visual styles and, you know, to to varying levels of success, usually pretty good. Um, and this Paddington 2, uh, without really advertising it, does a lot of the same stuff. It does a lot of... Equal, it, it does about a, a similar amount of visual experimentation and really pulls it off most of the time. Not even most of the time. Every time it tries something, it actually does pull it off. I can't think of a bad shot in this movie. I totally agree with you. And that that kind of scene in the uh, 
in the jail visitation uh, times. There, there's so much to it as well because uh, you know he's introducing all of these uh, you know hardened criminals in the uh, in the jail, and uh, you know there's a lot of. Uh, I don't know how much of this comes across to a kind of a more global audience, but there are so many uh, kind of um, British kind of cliches in this, uh, in these, uh, these people in the, uh, that in the jail, like for example, the, uh, the locked up politician, we've got plenty of those. Um, and you know, the, the, the big lad, uh, like Brendan Gleeson and, and, uh, all the other, <laughs> all the other people, there's uh, a lot of wonderful kind of aspects of British culture showing, and- showing through that. And also the locked up politician. I can't remember. I can't remember his name or really anything he does. But anytime he speaks, it's something akin to no comment or couldn't rightly say. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um. Yeah. So, uh, Pierre, what did you think of Brendan Gleeson in this? Uh, I thought I thought he was like I, I actually didn't really know much about Brendan Gleeson until recently. After having watched the Banshees and Asherin, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, he was great. I think all the like a lot of the actors, like a lot of these are like prestige actors, you know. And it's really cool to see them all give really fun performances. But like you can tell they're having fun, but they're also like obviously very committed, and they're they're not like frowning down on the role in any sense. Um, Brendan Gleeson is a great addition, I, I think, just because he he's a huge part of what carries a second act i guess because it's mostly just him and paddington like having a relationship and uh like the rest of the characters have their own stuff going on but you know that that's the plot b right so and surprisingly like brendan gleason has great chemistry with paddington <laughs> um which i never like expected to see um and like i thought their relationship was really cute um yeah and it was a great i mean i don't really know what brendan gleason usually plays but i thought it was a nice contrast to like, I guess the other two roles I see him in, in the Martin McDonough movies. Um, Cause yeah, he was a lot of fun and he was like really, he was really hamming it up, but like in a great way. It was fun to see like that scene where the, yeah. the, the, the sandwich gets stuffed into his mouth. And like, it's just like, it's such a stupid scene, but like he sells it completely. And the, yeah. The I power of marmalade. That. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah, actually, I, I've seen Brendan Gleeson in a couple other roles, but I, all the roles I've seen him in, he's he's very gruff and melancholic. Like Banshees of Inishirin is a really good example. I was going to say 28 Days Later, but that's, I mean, another good example, but not actually that different from Banshees of Inishirin, the more I think about it. And I think in this movie, um, yeah, it contrasts that really well. And like he gets to that place by the end but he actually starts as like almost a more cartoonish villain not really a villain but he's he's more cartoonishly mean in the beginning which is um you know i didn't realize uh what brendan gleason would be like in that role because i thought oh brendan gleason he's playing a mean guy okay i've seen that before but i've never seen him play a cartoon mean guy yeah, it's fantastic. All all the things that, you know, the script makes him say, you know, bonked me on the head with a baguette and, uh, you know, yeah, properly hamming it up and having a great time. 
it's a uh, it's superb. <laughs> um, also, I remembered I I remembered one of the other prisoners that when the whole the whole Brendan Gleeson subplot is kicked off by someone saying, "Well, if you do, someone saying to Paddington, if you don't like the food, then go complain to Knuckles, the chef." And he, Paddington doesn't realize that this is a bad idea. He's just so naive. In I, I think that's I think that's such that's really a lot of what works about the messaging of this movie is Paddington is so naive that he'll just do what he thinks is the right thing, and it turns out that that actually was the right thing to do. Just no one ever did the right thing because it was scary for whatever reason. Yeah, is it is um, it naivety or is it purity though? I would. I, I mean, it's it's probably purity. <laughs> yeah, I think it's they they play the character really well in that. Um, like I I don't I liked how he actually like he wasn't just purely fun and joy. Like he did get annoyed and angry a couple times. There's that one the one scene where he gives Brendan Gleeson like the stare that Aunt Lucy taught him, and I actually thought I was like, oh my god, like this is actually terrifying. But it was really cool to see how like he reverts that back like instantly, and he's himself again. Um, but yeah, they, I, I, I feel like it's not, um, like I, I could have been just annoying if the character was just happy and stupid all the time, but like, there's actually, there's more there. Like, I think when he walked up to the chef, he knew that it was scary, but it's like what he says, like, Aunt Lucy would tell me that like, um, actually, I don't know what Aunt Lucy told him, but it's, a, I think it's just to him, it's about honesty and he, he never wants to be dishonest, but you can be. I think the movie shows that you can be honest, but also be nice about it. It's not necessarily a bad thing to criticize something, which I love. Which um, is actually a, a really nice contrast to a movie. We haven't talked about the show, but I saw recently uh, there's a movie out right now called The Whale. And while I really liked most of it, uh, one thing I had an issue with is one of the big themes was... Um, honesty except that nobody in that movie is honest and nice about it everyone in that movie is honest and really mean about it in fact one of the like the main character that uh is lauded for being honest is just legitimately evil in that movie and so i i think it's i think this is a nice contrast to that where you know well i mean like like you just said being honest and being nice about it it's an interesting point about the whale as well, but um, yeah, I, th- I I I think also I don't know. I was I was debating whether or not to bring this up, but because uh, obviously Paddington Two was uh, released in 2017, and uh, in in Britain in um, towards the end of 2016, obviously we had the Brexit referendum, and Britain was tremendously divided even you know it still is to an extent nowadays or even Mm. now and I think you know Paddington 2 really plays upon that kind of that division of people uh, being in the same situation that wouldn't normally be in these uh, you know having these discussions and that's Mm. kind of it felt like it was a pathway for Britain to improve itself it was uh, a kind of a more positive fairer nicer way of dealing you know changing the levels of discourse um just outlined without any kind of political um edge just mm-hmm. 
a way that you know you can get on with your neighbor just you know have a cup of tea and uh, you know a marmalade sandwich <laughs> mm-hmm. um yeah i actually hadn't thought about that this movie definitely isn't overtly political in any way shape or form but it does sort of have a a, a nice idealistic worldview that it manages to communicate without seeming well without really seeming naive i used naive earlier but um and and i would stick by that but that's just because i don't have a better word like this movie doesn't feel like it's this movie doesn't feel like it's saying oh you know just get along and uh everything will be good it's saying it's it's saying something similar but it has a point and it's not pretending that you know there aren't obstacles to getting along you know, I'm going to jump right to the kind of post credits uh, or the the in credit sequence as well, where uh, you know Phoenix, uh, who historically hated working with others, you know, finally finds uh, his you know the point of working with others that he particularly likes, and that's because they're all locked up together. It's a and he makes the terrible pun about uh, all I needed was a captive audience, but uh, you know even you know even the kind of villain of the uh, of the film uh, comes out an improved person. And mm-hmm. you know he, he still gets his comeuppance definitely, but uh, you know it, there, there's there's he he becomes definitely a better person. Yeah. Yeah, everyone in this it's it's even an improvement. Well, it's definitely the first Paddington is very good, and the second one improves on it by like I think the villain in the first Paddington got her comeuppance, but she didn't really get a lot of character growth, which isn't really a problem. But then it's improved in this one in there every even the smallest characters and even the bad guys get their own little character arcs and come out of it. Uh, come out of this movie better people for having interacted with Paddington in the way that they did. Yeah, one hundred percent. And you know, I I was really really skeptical uh, coming into this film because I absolutely adore Paddington One. You know, uh, mm. it, my my daughter loved it. You know, we kind of watched it regularly, and we were both, you know. There was an enormous trepidation about, you know, uh, making a sequel that wasn't as, you know, as nice and, you know, as fun and as funny and just pleasant. And Mm -hmm. they totally knocked it out of the park. It's a, you know, I think objectively every part of this film is better than Paddington 1, which is, you know, I'm not saying that Paddington 1's a bad film because it's a superb film. But this is just, uh, you know, that next layer, as you say. It it makes me a little worried for the eventual sequel, which is about to start production, I believe. Uh, I'm I'm very excited for it, but you know, they've ra- the first one was a high bar. They managed to raise it with the second one. Can they do it again in the third one? I hope so, but I also don't want to set my expectations that high. Yeah, I'm I'm with you, and uh, you know Paul King isn't isn't directing this uh, third right. one either. Um, but I think you know most of the production staff are still the same, and 
fingers crossed it will have the same heart i think mm-hmm. so, hopefully um i there's there's a scene in this that i don't really know how else to build up with it i just wanted to talk about it there's a scene in this where he um paddington has made marmalade with knuckles and uh knuckles brings up that they don't have anything else they can make they've just got the one recipe and he and paddington says well i'm sure other people have recipes let's ask them and they start asking around and prisoners start standing up with their own recipes and one of them points to one of the other prisoners and goes charlie rumble makes a mean apple crumble yeah brilliant (laughs) Um, I do. I do hope for a third one that I think they really need to change the setting. I guess just because I, I feel like what the first one was kind of based around the family. Uh, the second one I think was smart and that it moved on from the family for the most part, and uh, like put Paddington in a completely new environment. And I, I think they really they should do the same thing for the third one too. Um, I don't know if putting him out. Oh. Sorry. Oh, I was going to say. Do you know the name of the third one? No, I have no idea. <laughs> I didn't even know it was announced, Padd- honestly. Paddington in Peru. So I think oh, they've done exactly what you wanted. Oh, literally. Okay, well. Wait, is he from? I can't remember where he's from. Is he from Peru? He's from Peru. Deepest, oh, okay. darkest Peru. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. That's actually, in, uh, I think, like, like budget-wise, I think that'll be interesting to see. Because I'm pretty sure that whole, all the Peru sequences are just completely animated. Right? So, um, but the third yeah, I wonder one what this is going to do for the budget. The third one is filming, at least in part, in Peru. So, Oh, cool. I don't know how much, because I don't know how much... I don't know for how much of the movie Paddington is in Peru. I guess we'll have to wait, but... Because I, I, I do think that London's a really important part of uh, both, mm-hmm. you know, this film and, and the first one as well. Um, it's, you know, it's a character unto its own, and I know that's not a fresh take, <laughs> mm-hmm. but, uh, you know... Paddington is synonymous with with London, I think. Uh, um, especially here, you know. Are you you guys familiar with the kind of Paddington books? You know, Michael Bond's. Uh, um, I saw the. I know when I was really really young, I saw the cartoons on TV uh, when I would come to visit my grandparents in Canada. But that's about the extent of my familiarity with Paddington. Yeah, I'm about. I I think I've just heard of the books. I don't know if uh, I've I actually watched. It was it was a cartoon, or it it was a cartoon as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, but you know, uh, I think there there are dozens of books. You know, Paddington does this and that and all sorts of things, um, and yeah, I, I think it is very much about uh, you know this this slightly tinted with nostalgia, but also, you know, because uh, obviously all all that Paddington knows and has been told about London is based upon a uh, an explorer from the 30s or the 20s or 30s. or um, And it's, uh, you know, it, it's very much a different city than that that you know obviously this is all explored a bit more in the first one but it's even so much as you know the 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 bin uh the bin men the the refuse collectors uh you know um is 
he's uh, studying for his his taxi uh, exam in terms of how he how he navigates around the the city. Um, also, kind of you know the 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 pop up book being a really important part of the uh, of the film of the plot of moving along the plot. But you know these kind of monuments aren't by any stretch explored um in any depth within the film you know it's not an action film set upon how does you know phoenix uh you know find these <laughs> these musical notes written in random places although i do love the uh the scene in uh st paul's which um harks back to a hopefully a uh um a theme that'll come up again in uh Paddington 3 which is security guards finding heterosexual men in uh in women's clothing very attractive it's uh, and it, it's somehow the same security guard he's just the head of security everywhere i guess simon farnaby absolutely it's a uh, <laughs> i'm i'm not sure how he'll make it to peru but i'm sure he'll be there I'm fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. <laughs> I also loved all the the Hugh Grant finding him extremely attractive jokes. Were I thought were hilarious. Like it was it was such a a silly like. What they basically find out it's him because he says he has beautiful blue eyes or whatever. Uh, <laughs> it was it was such a funny character, and I thought that was just like the cherry on top stuff like that. And I think the guard played like maybe he is extremely attractive. <laughs> I don't. I don't know, because the guard was extremely attracted to him, so who knows? Like Maybe he wasn't lying about any of that. Yeah, Hugh Grant is phenomenal in this. Uh, It looks like he's having so much fun, uh, because, you know, he's not just playing one character. He plays about, what, 14 different characters? I mean, functionally, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, all with a kind of... Uh, <laughs> a major tongue-in-cheek throughout, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his, uh, he's introduced as a uh, extremely well-respected actor now doing dog food commercials. And his dog food commercials are great, by the way. They show a few of them, <laughs> and they're very funny. Yeah, it's hilarious. I love the, you know, not fit for human consumption uh, <laughs> <laughs> warning as well. <laughs> Um, Pierre, did you have anything else you you wanted to say about Paddington? Uh, not really. I, I just say overall, it's, uh, like it's, I, I wouldn't personally, uh, agree with Nick Cage and say this is the greatest movie of all time. Like he does in, uh, what was that movie called? Uh, the unbearable weight of massive talent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like, this is, this is a movie, like, I don't think anyone can hate. It's just so pure and enjoyable um and beautiful to look at in a lot of ways and uh like i i don't like i think you could show this to anyone and they they there's no way they wouldn't crack a smile if that makes sense like it's yeah it's a very warm cuddly movie to watch and uh that that does that does take itself seriously and that it, it tries to be as creative as possible given the medium so i really love that as well mm-hmm. yeah i think it's um i think it's basically like the perfect version of this form of children's movie. I I would say like, um, I think there are other movies that are like kind of like it in that they're in the same genre, but this is like 
the best version of any of those. I'm, I'm just going to challenge the the the. I don't personally think that this is a children's movie. I, I totally accept that it's a family movie, but I think that there's there's, and I know that you know all kind of contemporary kids movies have some kind of throwaways for for the parents sitting in the the audience but i i think that this this works on so many different levels that uh it's both enjoyable for kids but also there's a lot going on underneath the surface that uh you know the parents and grandparents can uh can enjoy as well so yeah I, actually i might i might walk that back i didn't mean to i didn't mean that as a as, as like a diminutive, this is for kids. This is definitely appropriate for kids. And when I say a children's movie, I think that it many movies that would be similar would fit into that, like fit into that same kind of mold. Like specifically, I'm trying to think of Lyle Lyle Crocodile, which is a movie about a big animal in the big city. And there are some funny things for parents there, but I don't think they're intentionally funny. That one is very much a kids movie, and I think it has certain similarities, at least in genre, with Paddington, but this is very much, I mean, this is obviously way better than Lyle Lyle Crocodile, but Paddington 2 is sort of, it's the best version of a movie like that, that I could still fit into that, that's that's the genre that comes to mind when I'm trying to put it into a genre. What I what I love is that a lot of these, um, like family movies. I guess a big part of why some people be like, "Oh, this is for adults and kids," is that it has a lot of like, like more mature and like deeper themes. Um, whereas I I feel like like I, I'd say like a lot of Pixar movies have that. Like when you watch Up, right? Like there's a there's a very dark undertone to that movie, I guess, and it's the same thing with a lot of Pixar movies, um, and a lot of people praise them for that. But I I feel like Paddington Two doesn't feel the need to to use a a very mature undertone, if that makes sense, to appeal to adults. Like I think there's a lot of movies like this that that make the mistake of just being. I think it's just more like it's really immature humor and immature writing and lazy writing that that makes it a that so people will be like this only appeals to kids. But Paddington is able to do to to just make a fun, happy movie that also appeals to adults um, and doesn't require like, you know, a, a commentary on the prison system or something as an undertone for adults to enjoy it. Like it's just, it's just a fun movie for everyone. Actually, that's something that I've kind of taken, I, that I kind of take issue with a little bit when, um, when people talk about, well, specifically the time it always bothers me is when people say we need more R rated superhero movies because, you know, comparing, uh, I'm going to compare Paddington to some superhero movies now. Uh, like a big selling point of like Black Adam is that he's a superhero that kills people or a big selling point of Deadpool is that he's a superhero, but he's not for kids. And like, no, they kind of are. They're very juvenile writing. It's not mature to show a lot of blood or a lot of death or anything in a way, not even in a way, definitely Paddington two is a much more mature movie than those because it's talking about it's talking about its themes, which are general themes that should apply to anybody in a very, you know, thought out, mature way that anyone can sort of use. 
it it's a even though it's definitely uh, for, for for families and appropriate for children, it's one of the more mature movies I've seen. Well, I can say this year, but there's eight eight days in this year, so that might not mean very much. But it's definitely a very mature movie in that respect, which has nothing to do with the fact that it's uh, you know PG in and anyone can take their kids to see it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And you know, at, at the crux of the film, it's it's a story of immigration and yeah. uh, you know the challenges of uh, you know uh, accepting um somebody from outside your community who doesn't necessarily have the the same kind of uh traditions and um ways that you go about things and mm-hmm. you know I, I i i know that that's kind of that's core to um you know some of the kind of the later uh, michael bond stories but i, I think it's it's so pro, uh, prominent in in both these films um and really important and you know as as we've discussed earlier it's not it doesn't do it in a throw throw you down your throat political i'm making a stance here it just does it in a as a, a really mature way that you know just has a much wider net i think you know it's not just about this one one character going round it's about individuals and you know we're introduced to so many people around Windsor Gardens you know there's the the doctor and you know the I, I don't know what the the lady on the uh, bicycle is called um I forget but you know all these people that are, are impacted by Paddington's presence every day mm-hmm. yeah the lady on the bicycle is so interesting to me because she has two lines in the whole movie and it fully fleshes out her character you know, she early on, she says, hello, Paddington, as she's passing by on the bike. Later on, she accidentally almost runs into Sally Hawkins and says, I'm sorry, I haven't had my coffee yet. And it shows beautifully that Pad- the impact that Paddington has had on that on that neighborhood, because the place is just a little bit worse when he's not around and everyone's just a little bit grumpier. Yeah. Um, and he, and he's a matchmaker as well, you know, just by, yeah. uh, you know, uh, doing doing some window cleaning for free, you know, connected to people. Um, so the last question I have for you, Ian, is uh, why did you recommend the, this movie to us? What makes Paddington 2 a classic in your opinion? What? Well, on top of everything that I've I've previously said, it's mm-hmm. it's a, it's a film that I think I genuinely can sit down and watch any time with anybody. I I've watched it, I don't know, uh, way more than a dozen times, uh, and every time I feel, you know, something not not new and different every time but i feel the strength of emotion uh that i did you know uh, that it changes as well mm-hmm. um i think it's it's a beautiful film it's a a film that has a lot of uh, amazing craft to the way that it's been put together uh the story as we've discussed is 
a lot more mature than it it kind of it, it appears on the surface. It's just a beautiful, positive film. <laughs> I think. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, I I can't disagree with any of that. I would definitely agree on all counts. It was just a very, it was a huge delight to watch. So thank you for recommending it. It's definitely in my top five films. And, you know, I think unquestionably a film that I can just, you know, I always keep it on my tablet just just in case, you know. I, I, I don't watch it on my tablet very often, but if I'm traveling somewhere... I know I like having the safety that I've got Paddington 2 to fall back upon. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, if I was I'm a doctor, you... I would prescribe this for like people that are depressed or something like that. I don't know if it'll cure you, but it definitely wouldn't hurt. Mm-hmm. I like that very much. <laughs> All right. Um, Pierre, any last words on Paddington? I'm excited for Paddington and Peru. That's all. I, or is it Paddington takes Peru? I, I don't know. Paddington conquers Peru. Yeah, I mean, with with a new one actually coming out and going to be in theaters, maybe we can maybe we can get you back for to talk about Paddington Three. Ian. <laughs> Hopefully, it will be just as delightful. I mean, I'm hoping that it raises the bar again. That would be very cool. It would be fantastic, wouldn't it? It's, uh, I'd be very happy to come back, and I very much have my fingers crossed. Uh... Well, thank you for coming on this time to talk about Paddington and. Uh, one last time, where can people find more of you? Uh, anything else that you'd like to promote or promote again? <laughs> cool. Well, um, yeah, AODR.net is where you can find the Academy of Death Racers Film Festival 2023. Um, it runs until January the 22nd, 2023. Um, and just to plug again, I'm doing a, a big film trivia quiz on January the 14th. It's. I think it's at eleven o'clock in the evening on the Saturday, and that's UK time. So uh, I don't know. I won't list all the time zones. <laughs> um, I don't know where all of our listeners are, so I don't know how useful it would be for me to list the time zones either. <laughs> but thank you ever so much for having me back on, and it's been a pleasure. And I'm glad that you both enjoyed Paddington too. Yeah. Thank you again. And uh, Pierre, what's the last word? Peru. <laughs>